This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Simply Safe Home Security. Now get $100 off Simply Safe's special summer package. This sale ends very soon. That's $100 off at simplysafe.com slash Costa. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to welcome listeners joining us on affiliate radio stations in all 50 states and extend a special and warm welcome to our men and women in the armed forces, especially those of you far away from home joining us on the Internet today. In just a moment... One of the world's most revered and controversial economists and a gentleman whose work I have intensely followed for many years, Mr. Robert Atkinson, will be joining the program. Atkinson is the president of Washington Public Policy Think Tank, the Information Technology and Innovation Foundation. He is one of the first economists to make a connection between research and development investments in technology and a strong, lasting economic recovery busting many of the myths associated with this idea that technology automation means fewer jobs. We are in for an eye-opening hour with economist Robert Atkinson. But before Mr. Atkinson joins us, as is my custom every week, let me tell you a little about his background. Robert David Atkinson was born in Calgary, Alberta, and moved to the United States in 1962. He earned his undergraduate degree from the New College of Florida, his master's from the University of Oregon, and his Ph.D. from the University of North Carolina. He worked as a director at the National Institute of Standards and Technology before joining the Congressional Office of Technology Assessment. In 1997, he became the vice president of the Progressive Policy Institute. Nine years later, Adkinson founded the Information Technology and Innovation Foundation, which quickly became one of the premier policy think tanks in Washington. It came as no surprise when Atkinson was appointed by President Bush to spearhead the National Surface Transportation Infrastructure Financing Commission. Boy, that's a mouthful. And was later tapped by President Obama to serve on the National Innovation and Competitiveness Strategy Advisory Board. Also a mouthful. (laughs) I want to add that in between his work at ITIF and public appearances, Mr. Atkinson has authored three best-selling books, including the landmark work titled Innovation Economics, The Race for Global Advantage, a book which should be on every American's reading list. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Costa Report, President of the Information Technology and Innovation Foundation and White House Advisor to Presidents Bush and Obama, Mr. Robert Atkinson. Thank you for joining us, Mr. Atkinson. Hey, thank you so much, Rebecca. It's a pleasure to be with you. Now, I mentioned earlier that much of your work has to do with dispelling common misconceptions about what actually fuels economic growth. So I thought uh, maybe a good place to start our discussion today might be to talk about the benefits of bringing manufacturing jobs back to the United States and why that's only one part of what's needed for a robust economic recovery. Sure. So... You know, a lot of people have the view, particularly some folks in Washington, that the really catastrophic loss of manufacturing jobs in the 2000s was, was some sort of just natural phenomena due to higher productivity or technology. You know, we actually lost a bigger share of our manufacturing workforce in the 2000s than we did in the Great Depression in the 1930s. And it was really unprecedented in American history. And it wasn't solely due to manufacturers putting in robots or other technology and becoming more efficient. About half of the job loss was due to places like China and, and frankly, unfair trade competition, where these countries would manipulate their currency or they would subsidize their exports or steal our intellectual property or a whole host of things to shrink our manufacturing a uh, uh, significant amount. And, and we you know, really do need to wake up to that. One of the things that I think the the Trump administration is getting right is is really a renewed focus on trade enforcement and getting tough with countries like China who have been hurting us economically. So if we were to bring back, uh, if we were to just reduce uh, and eliminate the trade deficit in manufactured goods, which is over 500 or 550 billion dollars every year, we're spending that much money uh, and not exporting our goods. 
we could we could estimate we estimate we'd create at minimum 1.5 million manufacturing jobs, and then on top of that, you've got another three or four million jobs that support that, and those jobs pay more on average than they do for the average jobs in America, and they also tend to pay more for the for relative to the kinds of folks involved in the kinds of skills. So folks with uh, more technical and, and mechanical skills. Um, if we can bring back some manufacturing jobs and create more, you know, it will help them in particular. Now, you take a very holistic approach to what is needed to bring the economy back, uh, not only restricting the transfer jobs offshore, but limiting the immigration of low-skilled workers, uh, making investments in infrastructure programs, which historically produce high p- higher-paying construction jobs, and even tax incentives for research and development specifically and, and how that ties into job creation. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and one of the problems in, in Washington, uh, there are certainly many, uh, but one of the problems in Washington is you're, you, you're really sort of only allowed to take one, you know, take your choices from either column A or column B. You know, and column A was a set of more conservative free market ideas like, you know, a tax reform and tax incentives and making sure the regulatory system isn't overly burdened. Um, and column B, uh, and, and in low-scale immigration restrictions, and column B are things that are more on the Democratic side or the liberal side, which are things like expand research and development support, uh, funding by government, or, or help expand uh, workforce training systems. You know, the reality is we're in a pretty big uh, competitive race now with the rest of the world. We can't afford to just pick a few from one side. We've got to put everything together. And so, yeah, all of those uh, measures that you talked about, and, and certainly more, uh, you know, we believe are needed if we're going to really get the U.S. economy back to functioning as a, as a real strong engine of growth that it used to be, but it no longer is. But even if we do all those things from column A and column B, it's not quite enough because the real key seems to boil down to the productivity of the individual U.S. worker, which, as you point out, has been anemic for some time now. Yeah, and I, 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 it has been anemic. Uh, the, the productivity growth rate of Americans' uh, workers, uh, in other words, how much they produce per hour of work, that historically has grown 2 to 3% a year, and that's why we can raise wages 2 or 3% a year. And I found it striking in the, over Labor Day, all of these op-eds, Larry Summers and other people, you know, bemoaning why haven't wages grown. Very simple. Wages haven't grown as much because productivity hasn't grown very much. Um, so it's not, that is not an indictment at all on individual workers. Individual workers uh, are able to be more productive largely when they can have more and better tools. So if you think about, you know, you're working on your house or something like that, if you've got, a, if you've got an electric drill and a power saw, you're going to be a lot more productive than uh, you know, if you're using a hand drill and a hand saw. Well, one of the problems in the U.S. economy is a lot of companies haven't expanded the amount of capital for their workers. In fact, the average worker in the U.S. today has about 25% less machines or less tools, less capital that they're working with than they did 15 or 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. So you're absolutely right. Getting productivity growing again is, is the single job one we've got to do if we want to raise wages and incomes for almost all Americans. And you have pointed out that if the productivity of American workers returned to the rate at which it was increasing between 95 and 2004, our GDP and per capita incomes would increase about 150% instead of the 43% that's projected for the next 30 years. Yeah, and this is really, you know, people sort of ignore this, really. It's striking when you, you know, I just encourage you or your, or your listeners to go and, you know, just uh, just next time you look at uh, economic press, uh, you know, whether it's in a newspaper or on, you know, watching TV or whatever, and listen to how the pundits talk about the economy. They almost all talk about the economy as what's going to happen to GDP and the business cycle in the next three months. In other words, are we at full employment or less than full employment? <laughs> You sure uh, that the, is a fair criticism, yeah. sir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not that it's not important, but the big yeah. question is what's happening to productivity. That that is right, and uh, we don't scra- We only scratch the surface in the news these days, and we don't really get down to what the systemic problem is. I hope we can at least address some of that here today. We have to take our first break, but stay where you are. We'll be right back with more from economist Robert D. Adkinson. You're listening to the Costa Report. 
I'm here today with Scott Caraccioli of Caraccioli Cellars. Scott, we keep hearing about the wines that are being developed in Monterey County. How would you describe the climate conditions for grapes? Monterey County has a lot of little pockets that give you the opportunity to grow a variety of grapes. It comes down to the match of location and climate with the varietal that you're going to grow. And where we grow in the Highlands, it's prototypical cool climate. We're even in the northern side of the Highlands. So that is ideal for both Pinot and Chardonnay. Chardonnay strives really well in a lot of our county as well as Pinot. But I would say that this is the most optimal location. You get wind, you get sun exposure. The benches come off of the inland side of the coastal mountains. It's an optimal position. You can order any of our products directly from us by visiting our website, caracciolicellars.com, or calling the tasting room directly, 831-622-7722. Have you racked up more than $10,000 in credit card debt? Are you barely getting by, making minimum payments? You should know. The credit card companies are tricking you into thinking there's no way out. Credit card companies would rather you didn't know that there are ways you can become debt-free and you don't have to pay the entire amount you owe. There are debt relief programs that help people like you escape overwhelming credit card debt. National Debt Relief has helped tens of thousands of people just like you reduce more than $500 million of debt. National Debt Relief has helped so many people, they're A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau. You don't have to declare bankruptcy or take out a consolidation loan. You have the right to settle your debt for a mere fraction of what you owe. Reduce a large portion of your debt now. Call National Debt Relief at 800-314-7417. 800-314-7417. That's 800-314-7417. Every day I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. Every day I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. I start laundry at 8. At 10, we go for a walk. Every day... I wake up at 5 a.m. For those dealing with the daily struggles of caring for a loved one, we hear you. That's why AARP created a community with experts and other caregivers for advice, tips, and support. Together, let's help each other better care for ourselves and the ones we love. Visit aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. I am done with my mattress. That's right. I'm not spending another night on this old bag. My new mattress comes today, and this thing is out of here. Bye-bye, mattress. Yep, bye-bye, mattress. So says you and about a thousand other people every day. And that's a lot of old mattresses with no place to go. There's the landfill, of course, where they just take up space. But what a waste. Because you could send it to a mattress recycler where old mattresses get broken down into steel, foam, wood, and fiber that become new steel, carpet padding, home insulation, garden mulch, biomass fuel, locomotive oil filters, and all kinds of other great stuff. So Bye Bye Mattress is right. But don't toss it. Recycle it. It's easy. And it's free. To find a mattress recycler in your area, visit ByeByeMattress.com. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is former White House economic advisor and president of Washington Think Tank, the Information Technology and Innovation Foundation, Mr. Robert D. Adkinson. And before the break, we were talking about what it's going to really take to build a robust economic recovery. And one thing is clear. It takes more than just one policy, uh, from tax incentives for R&D to immigration reform to restricting the transfer of jobs offshore to increasing American worker productivity. We have to do it all. Now, there's one thing I'd like to try and clarify today, and that is uh, that worker wages 
tracked increases in productivity. It, it appears right on up to the mid-70s. And then suddenly there was a bifurcation. Wages that went flat and pro- productivity seemed to continue to go up. And wages have c- continued to remain flat. So what evidence is there that these flat wages won't continue in spite of boosting worker productivity? I mean, why do we think that it will begin to track productivity again? Well, first of all, as with many, many of these issues, there's an enormous amount of uh, uh, misinformation that's put out there. And this one of those, frankly, is this is this notion, which a lot of people you you're, you're, you should, you know, Every, a lot of people have, I'm in have good company. Looked, you are in very good company. <laughs> I'm in good company. I bought into a meme. <laughs> you have bought into the meme, and as you should, because you maybe haven't seen the other parts of that. So the problem with that is uh, when you really sort of take that all into account, one of, those re- one of the reasons why that is that's household income. So households have gotten smaller in the U.S. So imagine you had two earners, a man and a wife, they get divorced, they used to make 100000 now each the average household income is 100000 now it goes down to 50000 because they got divorced. Um, so if you put all of those factors together, plus you have to add in what's called non-wage compensation, so health care costs have been going up more, so those benefits are worth more, they're not included in all of that. When you put that all together, as the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco recently did and as the Congressional Budget Office has done, what you find was that instead of sort of the bottom 50% or so not having any wage growth in in inflation-adjusted terms, uh, they actually had reasonable wage growth, like 20-25% or so. Was it as fast as productivity growth? No, it wasn't. And that's an issue. To To be sure, that is an issue. But where I think the left goes wrong uh, is that they want to send a message that productivity growth has no effect on the bottom 90%, or in other words, or most well, of Well, I wouldn't say and that it has no effect, but I do think, and, it, and, you know, and this, is, uh, uh, this is purely theoretical on my part, but having worked in Silicon Valley through the 70s and 80s and watched the kind of pressure that public companies are under to to show profits every 90 days, every quarter. There is some of that wage increase that's been diverted to shareholders, right, and investors. I mean, there's really, I I don't think that we can deny that's gone on. I I think this pressure to show profits every 90 days has, uh, for one, uh, caused wages not to increase at the rate at which they previously were, uh, tracking productivity, and second of all, has really caused companies not to make long-term R&D investments that they can't justify in one or two quarters. Well, absolutely. That's a bad I, thing. That's it, a terrible thing for our country. Absolutely. On the latter point, Rebecca, 100% agree. The rise of what Hillary Clinton called sh- uh, uh, short-term capitalism, uh, quarter- quarterly capitalism, she called it, and what you're referring to. Absolutely. U.S. companies spend less on basic and applied research. They spend less on training their workforce. They spend less on investing in new capital equipment, all because Wall Street is saying, Let's show us your earnings this quarter. So huge, huge problem. My, other, my only point about the income inequality part is that uh, when you really dig down into the statistics, it's, it, it has been overstated is my only point. Not that income inequality hasn't gone up, and nor that that is not a problem. But, you know, the interesting thing about the two quick things, according to a study by uh, Jonathan Rothwell, who's the chief economist at Gallup now, he looked at who are the one percenters in America, the people who are the top earners. Um, most of those people are actually professionals. They're doctors, dentists. And financiers, college presidents. Um, So that's where a lot of the uh, income inequalities come from. And last quick point. What's interesting is in the 1960s, we were raising wages and productivity about 3% a year. And yet, the rate of corporate profits back then, uh, earnings uh, as a share of sales, uh, is about the same as it is today. It's, it's, uh, profits have gone up a little bit, but they haven't gone up that much. They don't explain all of this. Where most of that excess money is gone is it, not actually to profits. It's to high-income individuals. 
Right. And that's my point is that it's getting diverted to high income individuals. And as a result of that, we don't see wages tracking productivity the way it did up into the 1970s. And as you know, in the 70s and 80s, that's when venture capital came along and they wanted quick in and quick out. You know, they wanted exit strategies like, you know, get these startups ready for And I know because I worked in Silicon Valley for 25 years during that period of time. And I watched it happen. Build value as quickly as you could for a startup. Take it out to an IPO and exit. Well, so an interesting little factoid that Jonathan Rothwell's come up with. There are more dentists in the top 1% than there are software engineers. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I, think, I think there's something going on with the dental industry that we need to be thinking about here. We need an investigation uh, into those dentists. What are they doing? Every time I go to my dentist, for, for, where all they do is they just clean my teeth and I look at the bill, I'm like, oh my gosh. So, uh, yeah. But they're so investing. Just, they're investing that money. Oh, maybe they're investing it somewhere else, but they're taking my money and they're using it. Uh, but no, I don't disagree with you that income inequality. My, my only point is, for some, and I, I know you're not saying this, there are some people who say, look, we shouldn't even try to raise productivity because it no longer helps the average American worker. And I, I know you're not saying that. I'm there not saying people- that, no. I, I think we have to raise productivity because there is a direct relationship between raising productivity, raising labor rates, right, uh, and, uh, and also a quality of life, right? The standard of living goes up. And uh, and that's and it's and so they're all connected. This is the thing about economics. You can zero in on one thing, one statistic, one piece of research. But the fact is, they're all interconnected. And this is what makes it so difficult to turn the economy around because it's systemic. And we're not very good at systemic problems in this country. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. What I what I what I've termed it is, you know, the, the the sort of typical economist think of the economy as a machine, and so in a machine you just turn a valve. You want it to go a little faster, you you open up the steam valve. You meant to go a little slower. It's not a machine. It, as you said, it's a system. It's an evolutionary complex system, and you have to think about it in that way. And that's why you have to do lots of other different things, not just one simple solution. That's right. And, you know, every time you you, uh, turn on the TV, it's the, you know, it's the solution du jour. Now it's the tax reform. Tax reform is going to kick everything into high gear. And and then, you know, I talk to someone like you, I look at your research and I go, well, tax reform isn't enough. You still have to deal with immigration. You still have to deal with the transfer of jobs offshore. You still have to deal with productivity. You still have to deal with research and development investments. So, you know, it, it just there's not one solution. There's not one lever that's going to solve the problem. And I think that we can all agree on that. Now, we have to take another short intermission to do a little business ourselves. But stay with us. You're listening to the Costa Report. Just a heads up. This is it for Simply Safe Home Security's biggest ever summer sale. These are the final weeks you can get a whopping $100 off Simply Safe special summer package. These security systems have been flying off the shelves and you don't want to miss out. Your Simply Safe system has everything you need to protect your home. An arsenal of security sensors to secure each door and window. It comes with a panic button, a blaring extra siren, a wireless connection to authorities and police dispatch. Your family, your home, and everything in it stays safe around the clock. With Simply Safe, there are no long-term contracts, no installation costs, no hidden fees, and 24/7 professional monitoring is just 14.99 a month. Visit Visit simplysafe.com slash Costa now to get $100 off the special summer package. The sale ends soon. I don't know when they're going to have a sale this big again. That's simplysafe.com slash Costa for $100 off. I'm Paul George of the Indiana Pacers. When I was six, I had one thing on my mind. When I was six, my days were spent playing basketball every chance I could. When I was six... My dream was to make it to the NBA. When I was six, my mom had a stroke. So I want you to learn the signs of a stroke fast. F-A-S-T. F, face drooping. A, arm weakness. S, speech difficulty. T, time to call 911. 
because the sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in their recovery. I'm Paul George. Protect the ones you love. Spot a stroke F-A-S-T. Fast. Life is why. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Women now make up 37% of the workforce, changing their role forever. Harvard Medical School has now opened its doors to new female applicants. The first woman is now in space. The majority of last year's doctorate degrees were earned by women. We've come so far, but our news is changing for the worse. More women die from heart disease and stroke than men, even though it can be prevented. Make a change at GoRedForWomen.org today. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the American Heart Association's Go Red for Women. Okay, what are you wearing right now? Nothing. That's right. So mommy's going to teach you how to dress yourself. Underwear always comes first, name tag at the back, then pants, then shirt. Get the first button in the right hole or you have to start all over. Socks going first, then shoes right on right, left on left. With shoelaces, just take the ends, cross them over, switch the loops, the rabbit goes down the hole, pull tight, and you're left with bunny ears. Got it? Why are your pants on your head? Most parenting is hard to do in just two minutes. But two minutes twice a day, making sure they brush their teeth is easier, and it could help save them from a lifetime of tooth pain. Visit 2min2x.org to find out more. A message from the Partnership for Healthy Mouths, Healthy Lives, and the Ad Council. Yeah, you, it's me, your heart. Listen to me. We've got to talk. High blood pressure is serious, and yours? Whoa, what happened to us? We used to be so much more active. But lately, you've been ignoring me. I know you think I'm just going to keep ticking away forever, but you're wrong. You can do so much more to control your high blood pressure. Doing the minimum isn't doing enough. I'm under a lot of pressure and can quit whenever I want. Bet you didn't know that. But I like my job. Just treat me better. Check on me. Give me something green to nibble on every once in a while. And maybe we can do some exercise on occasion. Let's get to it. After all, we're in this together. Listen to your heart. Don't let it quit on you. High blood pressure can lead to a stroke, heart attack, or death. Get your blood pressure to a healthy range before it's too late. Find out how at heart.org slash blood pressure. Check, change, control. A message from the American Heart Association, the American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, my guest today is Mr. Robert Atkinson. So let's talk about technological disruption and occupational churn. What is occupational churn, and what has your research shown us? Well, occupational churn would be imagined in in the year 2000 when we had a lot of travel agents, and then by 2010 we had fewer ones, and then in the year 2000 we had some software engineers, but by the end of the decade we had a lot more. That would be occupational churn, where the the, the kinds of occupations that people are in changes uh, in, in terms of some occupations growing and some occupations declining. And this is a source of real anxiety for people uh, because if you have committed a lot of time and effort and skills uh, and education to be a particular, uh, having a particular occupation, and all of a sudden, for some reason, whether it's consumer demand or technological change, there's a lot less demand for that occupation. What are you going to do? Uh, It can be very hard on people. So occupational churn is a big deal. And what's happening now is that a lot of people, you you mentioned uh, uh, the notion of a meme before, Rebecca. Well, the new meme is that occupational churn is growing and, and we're all at risk of losing our jobs. Well, what we did is we looked from using government statistics on jobs and occupations, went back all the way to 1850 before the Civil War, up to the present, and we said, okay, in each of the decade in American history, what decades had the most occupational churn, and which ones were the least? In other words, was there a lot of jobs being destroyed in certain occupations in a decade, and a lot of jobs created? What we found really surprised us, because it was the exact opposite of what the meme is. The last two decades in American life have been the slowest rate of occupational churn. They've been the most stable, the most you know, care, you know, uh, non-traumatic, if you will, times of occupational churn. And what people forget is in the past, you know, there, there used to be occupations called elevator operators, for example, or telephone operators. Remember, remember telephone operators, they would connect your calls, uh, 
uh, you know, bowling people with pin setters at bowling alleys, the file clerks, lots of occupation farmers, lots of occupations throughout American history have been really, really decimated by technological change. But what made America really the greatest country on earth is that we moved on. We said, okay, we're going to embrace this because it benefits us, most of us, uh, and it's it's about progress. So I think actually what we've been seeing in the last um, couple of decades is that the risk of losing your job and losing your occupation uh, are actually pretty low. It's not to say it doesn't exist and it's not a problem, but it's a lot lower than people think. While that may make us feel better, right, that we're not in dan- we're not in as much danger to lose our job, is that really a good sign that the churn has slowed down? Because don't you need churn for progress to occur? Don't you want disruption to be happening quickly so that you can maintain a leadership position? Don't the two don't, don't doesn't global leadership and churn go hand in hand? You hit the nail right on the head. Absolutely. Absolutely. What you want in a society, you don't want to be a society where nothing ever changes, where everybody holds on to their jobs and businesses hold on to their business and prevent innovators and new companies and new startups from coming in and breaking in. That's a terrible thing to have happen. What we need to find as a country is a sweet spot where we embrace this notion of churn and disruption. You know, if uh, you know, if, if a company like Travelocity or any of these online things come in and people feel consumers are better off by doing, uh, you know, their own travel agent search, okay, that's what people want. That's what we need to be embracing, these kinds of things. But, I think this is the key but, uh, we don't do a very good job in the United States of helping people if they do find themselves at working at one occupation and needing to retool them, their skills to get into something else. Some of the northern European countries like Denmark and Sweden, they have very good policies that say, we want you to get back to work. We're not going to pay you to be unemployed like they do in a lot of Europe, but we're going to help you get the skills to get into a new occupation. We're going to give you help for a year or so to do that. We don't do that as well in the United States, and I think it's a big mistake. And I also think it's one of the reasons why there is this sort of growing backlash against automation and new technology. People are just fearful that, you know, if I have to jump off my lily pad, am I going to land on another lily or am I going to land in the pond and, and you know, and drown? Right. So you're, ba- you're making a constructive criticism. We don't have infrastructure to transition people from one job to another. So while it might feel good that we're not going to lose our job, it's not really a good indicator of the economy staying, uh, you know, competitive in the global markets. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, there, there are jobs, frankly, that, that, you know, we would be better off as a society if we could automate them. You know, one that yes. I see all the time. So if you live in New Jersey, for example, here's one. That would be gas station attendants. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, New Jersey and Oregon, they have laws that, that make it illegal to pump your own gas. And why is pumping your gas a good, you know, being a gas uh, jockey a good job? It's, you know, not a good job. It doesn't pay that well. It's inhaling benzene. Um, so there are lots of jobs that we'd be better off if, if, we, could, if we could automate and p- Prices would go down for people. Convenience would go up. The problem, though, is well, what, what about the guy who's pumping gas? What is he or she going to What are they going to do? And we need to figure out ways to help those folks be able to move on to something that's even better and more productive. Well said. I, I think they need to move on. And uh, I, I can't tell you how many times in Oregon I've jumped out of my car and someone came running and said, we get fined. We get fined. <laughs> Don't pump your own gas. Unfortunately, we are just about out of time. So let me take this opportunity to thank you for the tremendous research you and ITIF is doing. Thank you, Mr. Adkinson. I hope you'll come back and see us again soon. I would love to do that. Thank you, Rebecca. Before we take our station break, I want to alert you to something I recently learned from the FBI. The average property loss from one home burglary is $2,316. That's just the average. Plus, when you tally all the burglaries across the country, the loss adds up to billions. 
with so much to lose, I, I want you to protect your home with the same way that I safeguard mine. Get the Simply Safe system. It protects every door and window in your home with sensors and also includes a state-of-the-art motion detectors. And, and uh, the best news is the system is wireless, so thieves can't cut a wire to your security system. And you don't need to drill holes in the wall to install it either. It took me about 25 minutes to install my system on all my doors and windows. And anyone who's been listening to this program for any period of time knows that I'm not particularly handy. In addition to being easy to install, the system gives you 24-7 around-the-clock protection with local police who are dispatched as soon as an alarm goes off and you don't answer your phone with your password. Where else are you going to get this kind of peace of mind, uh, 24-7 police protection for just $15 a month? I'm going to say it again, $15 a month. Look, let's let's be honest. No one thinks they're going to have uh, be the, the one-home burglar's pick. But you know that if you don't have a security system, you have increased the odds of being targeted. So go to simplysafe.com slash Costa and take advantage of the 10% discount when you order today. Or go down to your local Best Buy and check out the system for yourself. It, it really is easy enough that I can install it. That's simplysafe.com slash Costa for a 10% off. And and that's you you just spell my last name C O S T A simplysafe.com slash Costa to get that ten percent off. Uh, Best Buy is not going to give it to you, so best you check it out at Best Buy and then uh, buy it online. Please protect your family, your pets, your home. Get some peace of mind. Get simply safe and rest easy like I do. Uh, And uh, and I will tell you those systems they're so easy. They come in one box. And you can have a lot of fun. If you've got a family, get your kids to help you install it. They're they're pretty good at that kind of that kind of stuff as well as well. I didn't have my kids around, so you know, uh, when all else fails, you know what to do. Open up the instructions, right? They don't even give you an instruction manual. You don't need one. They do they give you a couple of sheets of paper. It's so easy. And after you put the first sensor into a window or a door, uh, all the others go in very, very fast. And we have to take another break. We'll be back right after these important messages from today's sponsors. You're listening to the Costa Report. If you're a fan of big ideas and thinking, then you're going to want to sink your teeth into On the Verge. Jim Lair, John Scully, Alan Dershowitz, and dozens of business and government leaders from the full political spectrum have given On the Verge their highest reviews. And you can help drive the book to the top of the bestseller list by ordering On the Verge from Amazon right now. Our goal is to distribute 25,000 copies before the official release date. By placing your order for On the Verge right now, you'll help us beat that number. We need every listener to go to Amazon.com and order On the Verge as quickly as you can. And while you're at Amazon, order first edition gift copies of On the Verge for friends and family because they won't last long. On the Verge, on sale now at Amazon.com. That's On the Verge at Amazon.com. Are you struggling with addiction or alcohol problems? If you're depressed, drinking, and using drugs, you may need help. And the Affordable Care Act guarantees coverage of substance abuse. I knew I could get myself out of this. I just needed some hope and some help. I took the first step to recovery when I made the call. Call the Addiction Hope and Helpline now for a free assessment with someone who cares. Call 800-962-6969. I feel like I'm losing control. I'm afraid I'll lose my job or even my family. Call now for hope and help with proven gentle recovery programs. I never thought that I could be somebody who didn't drink and use drugs. I'm in recovery, getting the help I need. Call the Addiction Hope and Helpline now for a free assessment with someone who cares. Call 800-962-6969. 800-962-6969. 800-962-6969. 
It may be hard to believe, but people just like you are already saving money. FeedThePig.org makes it easy. Their simple savings plan teaches you how to start saving without going overboard. So you don't need to mooch off your friends. You gonna finish that grape? You mean the one in my mouth? You don't need to stop buying the necessities. What you're smelling is a natural musk. Ew. You don't need to be a medical test subject. How do you feel? Mostly okay. I... (laughs) Sometimes, though. (laughs) You don't need to get a second job as a stuntman. We need a new stuntman! Let's break for lunch. You just need an internet connection. Don't get left behind. Start your personal savings plan with the tips and tools on feedthepig.org. That way, you don't need to sell your soul to the devil. Fifteen bucks is the best I can do. All right, deal. Brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Hey, America, you need to have a little talk. I don't know if you've noticed, but we got a lot of food in this country. A lot of peaches, a lot of corn, a lot of apples, a lot of everything. We've got so much food that we can't even eat it all. So if we got all this extra food, how are 17 million kids in America struggling with hunger? I just don't get it. That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks gathers surplus food and gets it to the hungry kids who need it. They can get you food even if you live in Idaho or Alaska or somewhere crazy like that. This isn't complicated. we got extra food and we've got hungry kids. Feeding America's done the math. Now it's your turn. Support Feeding America on your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. I know you got internet on your phone, so what are you waiting for? We can't do it without your help. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, we have been speaking to one of the economists whose work I've been following for more than a decade, Mr. Robert Adkinson, who, as you heard, is the president of Washington Think Tank, the Information Technology and Innovation Foundation. And he's also the author of the book, Innovation Economics, which, in my view, ought to be required reading for every American, let alone every leader in our nation and state capitals. Similar to what I try to do here every week, Atkinson is all about breaking conventional myths. And as you heard him say, there's no question whether bringing back more manufacturing jobs is helpful to the American economy. But that's only one small piece of what has to be done and done all together at the same time. That includes restrictions and penalties for moving jobs offshore, limiting immigration of individuals with low or no skills, increasing worker efficiency and output, and also moving to aggressively provide tax incentives on long-term research and development. Cutting business tax rates across the board isn't going to do the job. And for those listening in our nation's capital, when you look at tax reform, please look at R&D. Because it's where businesses invest their profits that really matters. We know that investing in research and development, specifically in technology and science, not only gives American businesses tremendous advantages in global competition, but also creates jobs, the kind of jobs we want. So while pundits pontificate that productivity advancing technologies, uh, such as robotics as an example, take away jobs and add to unemployment and occupational churn, Atkinson offers data that shows that when a new industry such as robotics comes to fruition, it creates more jobs than it eliminates. There are different kinds of jobs than those that it eliminates, but the, but the overall net is an increase in employment and, and here's the catch, at a higher rate of pay than the obsoleted jobs. And that is what we call an upward spiral. Technological breakthroughs lead to much more competitive jobs, jobs at a higher pay, which then affects our overall standard of living because suddenly we can afford to buy homes, new automobiles, send our children to college again. Before you know it, the economy is off and running like it did in the early 80s when I was working in Silicon Valley. This was a time when a software programmer or an engineer 
could literally walk across the street, ask for a 30 or 50 percent raise and get it. Headhunters were calling me every week to see if I'd be willing to change jobs. I I was barely out of college, folks. I had no house, no debt, no children, and the opportunities were boundless. I felt happy to have a college degree. I thought my future was as bright as a future could be. The sky was the limit. And isn't that how college graduates should feel? What I'm trying to say here is that I am an eyewitness to the power of long-term research and development investments in innovation, those kind of investments that that caused the semiconductor to be discovered, the Internet, right, the mobile cellular phones that we have today. And, And think of the impact this has on our economy in terms of creating jobs. Think of the number of jobs created in the technology sector. Think about the impact it's had in raising pay rates, elevating our standard of living, and increasing the economic competitiveness of the entire country. But today, you would find very few companies investing in long-term research. The fact is, America is now 10th, 10th in terms of the percentage of its GDP spent on research and development. We, we lag behind Japan, South Korea, Denmark, Taiwan, and others. We were the country which invented tax credits for R&D investments, and we now rank 25th in terms of R&D tax records. How did this happen? Now you add those statistics to the fact that the pressure to show growing profits every quarter, every 90 days on Wall Street, and, and you know what? We begin to see just why companies are no longer investing in research, the kind of research needed for a full economic recovery. By the way, if you want to learn more about the horrendous effects, the drive to meet or beat 90-day Wall Street analyst expectations has had on the United States, read my column on the Fox Opinion website this week about income inequality, where I explain why wages stopped tracking productivity in the 70s, and they never quite came back in spite of increases, and I mean dramatic increases, in worker output and also higher profits. Where did that money go? Where did money that was formerly returned to the the value creators, the workers, where did it go? Well, I make a case it went to the shareholders. Take, Take a moment to read my column at Fox. And you'll not only find out the next time someone, you know, starts complaining about uh, income inequality, you're going to feel a whole lot smarter and and have a good comeback. It turns out the reason wages have not tracked output as they did before is the same reason investments in innovation, research, and development have also declined. It's all a result of short-term thinking a lack of understanding of how capitalism works on a macro level and the absence of a national economic strategy. You know that old saying, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there? Unless we put together a national policy with objectives, goals, resources, timelines in place, what are we aiming for? And how do we expect to get there? And once we get there, how do we know we've gotten there? And to this end, Atkinson and the ITIF They have it precisely right. We need a comprehensive economic policy for the U.S. Let's get it down on paper. One that focuses on raising worker productivity, making more investments in R&D. Our tax reform should start there. Let's look at how to reduce taxes uh, commensurate with uh, investments in long-term R&D. And also, make sure that we watch and and put in some insurances that allow worker compensation to track output and profitability. That's what we need to do. We've got to get an overall policy on paper. That's how I see it. Now, before we go to break, you know how much I like giving away free products and services on this program. So if you're struggling to fill a position in your company, I want you to take full advantage of this free offer because the longer a job goes unfulfilled, the more good employees are taxed. And they're the ones that have to take up the slack when a job goes unfulfilled. So you want to hire help 
fast. But not just any warm body. You want someone who can hit the decks running. And that is where ZipRecruiter can help you. With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites with just one click. Then powerful technology matches the right person to your job. And you can imagine how much time you're going to save by posting a job just one time and having it appear on 100 job sites. Never mind how much you're going to increase the odds of locating that perfect person for your opening. This is why thousands of businesses, small and large, have turned to ZipRecruiter. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It goes out and finds them. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter find a qualified candidate through the site in just one day. 24 hours later, you could be speaking to a qualified candidate. So ZipRecruiter is not only thorough, it's also very fast. No more juggling emails or calls to your office. Simply screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. And right now, listeners of the Costa Report can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right. It's not going to cost you one cent. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Rebecca. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Rebecca, R-E-B-E-C-C-A. One more time, to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Rebecca. And if you have a boss that's having a hard time getting a job filled, be sure and tell them that the fastest way to find the best person for that job also happens to be free. They'll love you for it. All they have to do is go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Rebecca. That's pretty easy. You know, there's really no excuse to leave a job open with a service like ZipRecruiter around. And that is all the time we have this hour. If your station is leaving us after the first hour, my guest next week is former White House ethics lawyer and current professor of law at the University of Minnesota, Richard Painter. He's going to be here to talk about the lawsuit filed against President Trump for failing to sell or put his assets in a trust. Don't miss Richard Painter next week, right here on the only news program that puts policy ahead of politics. You're listening to the Costa Report. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.